0: Attention, attention please! The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air! Hello and welcome to the Campo Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Campo Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Campo Ojibwa for boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Tim Shovers. Tim Shovers, my good buddy from Atlanta, Georgia. I saw Tim while I was on the road doing the uh, podcast all around the country, stopped in Washington, D.C., and got to hang out with him. I haven't seen Tim in a long time, and he's one of my my best camp buddies all time, uh, which I think you'll hear uh, in the course of the interview. We we end up doing a two-parter. Uh, we run long because we uh, we're really happy to see each other and catch up on some old times. So we had a lot of fun with this. And uh, Tim is really a camp historian himself. He's He always has had a big love for camp. So you also hear that come out a lot in the things we talk about. Uh, one of the coolest things, though, uh, Tim works for ESPN 980 Radio in Washington, D.C. So while I was super stoked to see Tim, I also knew that that's where Tony Kornheiser records his daily radio show, of which I am a big fan and a loyal little and so I was even more stoked that we, he, I got there and Tim was like, Hey, do you want to just record, you know, at work? So I got to go sit in at the, uh, 980 studios we recorded there, which was awesome. And then he was like, Oh, like over there is where Tony records. And then we went to bagel city. I mean, this means nothing to anyone who's not a little, but to me, I was like, this is awesome. So very cool experience down in Atlanta. We'll get to that in just a second. Of course, a little housekeeping. I am here on the grounds of Campo right now. And I have to tell you guys. This is really uh, incredible. I have never visited camp in the fall. I've been a few times in the spring, but I've never been here in the fall. And I we're pulling in, and it's like, like someone spilled paint all over the memories that I have. I just had, I've driven down Evergreen and Meadow Lake Road fifty thousand times in my life. I know that like the back of my hand. And all of a sudden, it looked a way I've never seen it before. So all the colors of the trees. It was really incredible. Uh, so it has been awesome to be at camp and to get to see what fall looks like here, to see what it looks like when some of the leaves are off the trees and there's a whole lot of color everywhere. I woke up this morning, there were 20 wild turkeys standing in front of the office, just milling about. The lake's covered in fog. It's just, it's beautiful. So it's awesome to be up here. What else looks beautiful up here are those awesome bricks in front of the collegiate bench. If you don't have your brick, what are you waiting for? Let's get this thing done. Go over to CampoJibahistory.org. Click on Bricks of Fame. Get your bricks settled and done. That way it's in. You don't have to worry about it, and you're good to go permanently. Your name is right here on the grounds of Campo Ojibwe. I will tell you that we're also here. One of the reasons we're up here, I'm here with Denny right now, talking about some, uh, some Camp Ojibwe history project-related stuff. I, I don't know if I can uh, put it out there in the public yet, but some very excited stuff, for, exciting stuff for the future. So I'm really stoked about that, too. Really, it's just been a... The whole trip's been aces. All right. Enough of this nonsense. Let's get to it. Here we go. Tim Shovers on the Camp Ojibwe. History Podcast. After the party is yeah. the Waffle House. Uh-huh. If you've ever been here, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Uh-huh. Where people don't dance, all they do is yeah. this. Uh-huh. And after the this original, you the know, know what it is. Well, welcome this to this. Remix, it had to go down. I got some else to tell you about the new Motown. Oh, what people don't visit, they move out here, and yeah. they no telling who you might see up in I know Lennox. Uh, so, first and, and foremost, for the record, please state your name and years at camp. Tim Schovers, 1994
1: 2005, began in Cabin One and then ended as a senior counselor. Nice.
0: How did you first hear about Camp Ojibwa?
1: Well, my story is a little more unique than the average Highland Park, Northbrook kid. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, for you Chicago people who've never been outside of Illinois, that's in <laughs> Georgia. That's to the <laughs> southeast. Uh, so my dad's from Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. If you're familiar with the League of Their Own, Dirt and sure. the Skirt, the of team course. that beat the Rockford Peaches. Of course. So he's from there. And uh, my mom's Midwestern, too. And As a little kid, I had mentioned I wanted to go to the way – to camp for a while. I I don't know. I don't, I don't remember this thought process at all, but this is what my mom tells me. Right. And so in the South, all the camps are four weeks and all the camps are co-ed really. And my parents knew that Wisconsin had a lot of eight week camps and had a lot of sports camps. So somehow my mom got in touch with some recruiter or something or someone who referral lady, who knew about summer camps in the Midwest and was showing me camps. Oh. And the first one I saw was Ojibwa. So I'm like seven years old. Right. I just remembered <laughs> it. I said, Oh, that sounds cool. Sure. We got in touch with Denny. Denny flew down, uh, came to one of my Little League games. It was, a. Uh, machine pitch. I struck out three times. I'm not making that up. That actually <laughs> happened. And then uh, we went out to dinner and I was seven, seven and a half. And I was like, you know, Ojibwa sounds cool. And uh, next thing you know, eight weeks and uh, eight
0: weeks every year. That's amazing. Yeah. So you just came down and went to the game. It's totally Denny. That's such a classic Denny. Flew book. in that morning.
1: My dad <laughs> picked him up. He came in, he gave the spiel. We went to my, my little game at NYO. Uh, went to dinner. I remember we went to dinner at mix, which no one in this podcast would know what that is. And, uh, and yeah, and then he flew out that night after dinner. Wow.
0: Yeah. So you go to camp now, do you fly into Chicago and travel up with everyone else or how do you get there?
1: Well, I I remember this, it's just so crazy looking back on it. You know, when you're, I can't imagine doing something like this now. I just flew by myself from Atlanta to Chicago and there are a bunch of Florida kids there. And Jim Findor, whose name has been mentioned on this, i sure heard, uh, picked us up uh, in a van and we drove all the way to camp. This is the night before oh, wow. camp. So I got up to camp the night before and I could still remember pulling up the first time and seeing the pinners courts. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, what cabin am I? And I'm like, you are basically the youngest kid in this camp. So you're cabin one. Uh, and uh, I got there the night before everyone else. Wow. I could, and Jim and Findor actually, so we only had six kids in the cabin that year. And so we had a counselor's porch cabin and Findor slept in the back of cabin one. Like he had his own little,
0: uh, blocked off area. That's amazing. Yeah. Not to say anything bad about guys who sleep in the back of the cabin, just to be fair, but
1: <laughs> like he had the Zeke, it wasn't a Zeke, bed. he had a Zeke area to himself. Wow.
0: Yeah. Six kids. You remember the six? Yeah.
1: Uh, Brett Pearson, who I still talk to often. Jeff Olzar, who was my best friend at camp until he left. Jacob. Sure. Uh, Danny Madonis. Blake Resnick, and a name you might be familiar with, Asher Wenig. Asher Wenig. And then we also had uh, John Meltzer came up for second floor. Nice. And you remember your staff guys? Larry Abrams, Judd Musselman, uh, Craig Snower, who you might be familiar (laughs) with. That is his first year uh, uh, back on staff when he returned. And uh, this is going to be so typical of me. I think we had a foreigner and I don't remember his name and I think he was from Australia, but I'm not even sure. (laughs) Yeah. He was,
0: uh, he was one of the four guys. What can I say? I'll cut you some, some slack. You are known to have a great memory when it comes to camp Uh, over the years at camp. There are always, there's always a guy who is the guy who you say 1973 and they tell you who won the week and who came in second and all this stuff. And for you were that guy for definitely a big stretch of time.
1: Useless knowledge has always been my thing. Like things that where, you know, it doesn't help my bank account or my GPA, I was always great at. So, random collegiate week trivia, I was really good at. I can remember 73, you just threw a little bit of curveball at me. For some reason, I'm grouping that with 77. I want to say it was. Air Force, but I'm not, I'm not confident in 73 as I am with some other years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember you were the go-to guy for the asterisk year too. When guys were old enough to not know about the asterisk, you could really lay out the stories. So.
1: Well, yeah, Harvard 96. I was on that team. I was the second youngest guy, One collegiate week, uh, still have the trophy, but uh, a unique story with that. You want me to go into that? Sure, since we're here. So 96, Harvard, and I'm not going to mention uh, the guy's name with that for uh for reasons, everyone knows who I'm talking about. They'll know why I'm not mentioning the guy's name, but basically our coaches, Seth Wenig and Josh Hausman had, for lack of a better term, hired what you are, right? Aren't you in charge still of, of College week
0: of <laughs> the uh, stunt night? Not so much, but, but right. So right. the person who kind of helps run stunt night helps, helps with all the stunts, maybe plays music if they happen to be a yeah. musician. So they basically hired
1: you from what I was told. And I was only 10, so I didn't know what was going on, but uh, to write the stunt and, and direct it. And, uh, and so we, which is a
0: huge no, no, if you don't know, that's a huge no, no. to Have any outside help with that.
1: So I was just a a kid. Like I didn't really know what was going on, but he would show up to our practices. I remember one at the camp campfire site and anytime we heard footsteps, he'd run away, uh, behind the stage or something like that. (laughs) And, uh, and so I wrote the stunt and we won stunt night. It was like, Oh, about but you know, a police princess smile type thing. Oh,
0: nice.
1: And, uh, I remember we had this rec hall rehearsal where we were all being shady and this doesn't make any sense to me as I look back on it, but we were all being shady in the rec hall and I didn't know why. And I remember we, we got, we went to dinner late. Our team had been called for buffet and, uh, Glenn Nesper was the guy who used to call buffets. Have you heard, have you heard of sure, that? Sure, yeah. Of course. Uh, and he would, uh, he goes, Why are you guys late? And I said, Oh, we had rec hall rehearsal. And some older kid goes, No, we had rehearsal showvers, not rec hall rehearsal. Like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, do we just have an illegal rec hall rehearsal? But it's not like <laughs> you could see into the rec hall. Right. It was broad daylight. It didn't make any <laughs> sense uh, how we got, uh, got away with that one. But then word came out about Monday, I would say, of Collegiate Week. And Collegiate Week used to end on Tuesday night back then. Does it right. still
0: end on Wednesday now? Uh, no, actually, it's back to Tuesday because we cut a day off camp, so now camp okay. ends on Wednesday.
1: So be said on Thursday, and including went on Tuesday night after dinner, with the, the winners would be announced. And Monday night at dinner, this mess hall cheer because it was a big weighted, still a lot of weighted meals in '96. Sure, did a cheer, Wenig Hausman, and insert name. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember RT. This got real awkward, <laughs> and again, uh, still like confused as to what's going on. But and then we did stunt night. Uh, Teams just produced stunt on Sunday and Monday. I think we did our stunt that night and ended up winning stunt and winning the week by 42 points. Wow. And second place was air force. Victor, Brett Victor was uh, the assistant coach on that team. Sure. And Iowa snower was the head coach came in third that year. Uh, So it was a very tightly contested week. And it was something that
0: uh, I always had to defend and discuss throughout my years at at Ojibwe. Okay. So little you gets to camp. You're basically the youngest camper in camp. Cabin one. No, nobody. No, right. Don't know. A I don't soul. know a soul. Yeah. Right. Except Denny. You, you met Denny for yeah. a day and you know, he's Denny, he's bigger than life. You're not going to go have a million conversations with him. How does that first year, how do you start to gel? I mean, I know you're little and it's hard to remember, but
1: yeah, so I kind of, it's weird. I, I didn't get homesick at all that first year. I know that I got homesick the second year, which is weird how it hit me. But, uh, I still remember my parents tell me I came home and you mentioned the whole memory thing. I was telling him like every pick of the draft, the first round, and going through it. Like I just, I fell in love with collegiate week, uh, just everything about it. Um, I was a terrible athlete. I was the last pick of the draft. There was what, so there were 161 kids. I was, I went 16, 10. There was one hat pick, uh, Jesse, the body Blumenthal Kevin seven. And uh, so I was terrible, but I just, I just loved it playing sports all day. And the food was great. I remember. And uh, it was just one thing, one of those things that just clicked immediately. But I don't even know. I think Jeff Olazar and I were we're good friends the year. I don't even know if I made a friend. Like I can't mm. even remember now. I just remember just loving it, just having a great time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was last year. Now everyone always says I was there for Old Ojibwa. Duh, duh, duh. I'm not going to get into that. But it was it was a big demarc- line of demarcation year for Ojibwa because that was the last year of eight week leagues. Oh, wow. it was ninety four, and then ninety five began, where you had uh, championships first and second four.
0: Right. So they had started the four week program. They were they were doing it, but they were just doing it very little.
1: Yeah, it was very haphazard. Maybe
0: do it if you were at first year. You could do four weeks or whatever, but it wasn't a normal thing. And then in ninety five, it became a regular option to have four weeks.
1: Yeah. So you would have, you know, we and Kevin one had two kids leave and one kid come up, but basically just they would get replaced on the team. Like if you were a second four camper, you would just get thrown on to whatever existing team in oh, league. They didn't okay. even redo it. Cause again, it was uh, one championship. So it was, it really felt like an eight week camp that year.
0: Yeah. And that is a big difference. I mean, those plaques, I mean, as valuable as being on a plaque is one could argue that before 94, those plaques were a little more valuable because well, yeah. it took a lot longer to get one
1: best of three championship games. Um, everyone wow. made the playoffs. I remember, uh I remember like you could feel the intensity of the playoffs right away. I mean it wasn't at the week it's like the same as I'm sure it is today, but you could feel an uptick in it and I remember we lost a soccer shootout and like we're all hysterically crying. Uh but yeah, I mean it really it's not like sometimes in second four, the cha- the playoffs feel a little rushed, you know, like, sure. wait, we're already in the playoffs. Like it did not feel like that. It felt like you
0: had worked all summer to get there. Nice. I love the idea of best of three championships. That's the first I've heard of that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that was the last year of that. Very cool. So you're coming back. You're loving the sports. What are the other things that are speaking to you? I mean, obviously you go home, you love the place. You tell them about. It, you come back forever. Uh, what are the other things that speak to you outside of sports? I loved
1: it, the downtime. Uh, I just... I fell in love with it where you could play pinners. You could play, you know, roof ball and porch ball as a little kid or shoot. Like I used to shoot around in my, I had a hoop in my driveway. I used to shoot around every single day growing up. And then there were just these huge basketball courts that every day I could go <laughs> shoot around at. Um, I was never a big waterfront guy. That never really spoke to me. Waterfront was always a chore. I, I just, I loved walking around camp. And as I said, you know, playing a pinners game and, uh, even the, the nighttime stuff didn't hit till later because I was a little kid. I was going to bed early, but sure. it, those, those were the kind of things I just loved. And I loved seeing the intensity. I love wa- I loved going to watch a watermelon basketball game after my game was done and seeing the older, like that felt like I was watching the NBA to me, you yeah. know, as ridiculous as it is looking back on it. So I would say those, those were the things that stood out.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a part of the magic of camp is that sort of, uh, the younger guys looking up to the older guys and, and like really caring and going and watching those games. And that matters to them. And the older guys watching the staff guys play games. And that really matters to them. And like, it really sort of feeds off itself in that way. And
1: along the lines of this talk, one thing I've really enjoyed hearing in a lot of the podcasts you've been doing, which have been great by the way, thank you. Is that, Uh, my favorite time of day was always after dinner before early evening activity. Mm. And I've heard a lot of guys echo that as well. Like I thought I might've been alone in that one, but, uh, I always thought of it as you see the movie office space sure, where, you know, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And then if you'd say you just fix old cars, you're supposed to be a mechanic. Um, (laughs) and then his neighbor (laughs) chimes in with something else. But, uh, like, I feel like that, whatever you do during that time between dinner and early evening is what you love most about camp. Mm. So if you love hitting softballs or you love pinners or you love just rapping on the week bench um, or playing basketball, like whatever you do during that time, I felt like is your true love of camp. Yeah, that's a There's great exceptions, call. but that that's
0: always how I how it I really feel is. It's it. the real magic time. And you're getting that great Ojibwa sunset at oh, the same yeah. time. It's just starting to come down a little bit and everything's perfect. The temperature is always perfect. Even if it's, what um, do you so do during that time? Ugh, what what don't I do? No, usually during that time I'm, I'm either in the office cutting some video, uh, which is probably the the winner on the list of the things yeah. I'm doing at camp. Uh, or that is a real prime time to actually go catch guys. If you need to talk to somebody at camp, that's the perfect time. That's the time where you're going to find someone you need to talk to. If you've got a, you really need to have a conversation with whoever in cabin 12, that's the time to find them. Because there's just a certain set of places they're going to be, and everybody's chilled out. It's a great time to talk about stuff. No one's rushing. so
1: and you see kids run the serpentine. You know, uh, <laughs> sure. It's a bleak bench. It's just every To me, it's just my favorite hour, really, of the day.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, what about things like late evening activities, or dare I say, the uh, entertainment arts? Were uh, any of those <laughs> things in your wheelhouse? Late night activities. Well,
1: I was I was a well behaved kid, so nothing too risque. But uh, I loved when we got older. So keep in mind, for me as an as an Atlanta guy, I didn't see these guys during the off season, right? right. So what I loved is we got older to cabin thirteen and fourteen. You know, people say it's ridiculous to watch movies at camp. Like watching movies or playing video games with these guys was mm-hmm. super fun because I didn't get to I only chill with them during the day for two months out of the year. So right. now there's a whole new element of these friends I got to experience at night. Uh and I love watching watching movies. It, some of my fondest memories uh were just doing that. I mean late night I was never a big as a camper, like visit counselors and sit on the porch like a lot sure. of my friends were. that just I don't know, it was never my thing personally. Um I certainly never snuck out to Maramita because there was no girl there waiting <laughs> for me. So, <laughs> uh, my usual move at the socials was just to go shoot hoops during it. Cause I didn't know any of the girls and sure. Yeah. Uh, but, That's uh, the same
0: problem too, because they're, they're all from Chicago as well. So how are right. you, are not meeting them. Like. Oh, it was, it, <laughs> right. it was terrible.
1: Like, I, I didn't have great game to begin with and Yeah. The, the mixture was not good. So, uh, you know, in terms of late night, I would just say just, yeah, just hanging out in the, in that cabin 14, uh, what do you call it? I guess the living room. Sure. It's just so perfect for 20 guys to hang and chill. Yeah. And that, and
0: you bring up a great point about like movies in that environment, watching a movie with those guys in that room, it is hard to define why that would be a cool camp thing. Like to just an outsider and say, Oh no, we sit around and watch a movie at night. But at 10 o'clock you pop in a movie, maybe it's R rated. Ooh, Yo, oh, hold yeah. on. maybe you're watching something a little, you know, whatever's going on. And you sit there and you respond and, it's awesome. It's great time.
1: And then, and then for those who haven't been, you hang out in the jacuzzi, which is in the basement, right? Of course, 14, of course, of course.
0: I mean, you know, the, <sighs> listen, the, the filters got clogged last. Yeah, summer. we, it was, we it was need, shut down for like two weeks. We don't need to get days. into it, yeah. but
1: uh, I like I still remember not another teen movie. There's some ridiculous song in this in this comedy, and we used to sing at Captain Fourteen. It was one of the most, one of the fondest memories of the summer. Nice, yeah.
0: So you grow up. You go through your cabins. Now you start to get to an age where you're getting with a group of guys who are going to be your group of guys throughout. You guys are going to be there year after year. Who are your guys? Well, Jacob Schur and Jeff Olizar are my guys until Schur
1: left in cabin 10 and Olizar left after 13. So Olizar was my best friend really the entire time. Is he Jeremy Olizar's brother? Yeah. So he's, there were three Olizars. Gotcha. There was. There was Oli the goalie, which was Olazart. There was Big Oli, which is Jeremy Olazart, and then Oli Dub Dub, which is Ryan Olazart's <laughs> little brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so Olazart and I were bunk mates literally every year uh, growing up. And in thirteen, he was my cube mate. And then I get this: the bus list comes out going into fourteen. I just assume he's coming back. And uh, there was there was AOL Instant Messenger, but really, I mean, we didn't talk much in the off season right. just because. And I get the bus list and I see Olasar is not on there. And I'm confused by that. I mean, he's a Naperville kid. Like he's not flying into Rhinelander, you know? And, (laughs) uh, and so I called him. He didn't call me back. And I was just like, at first for like five minutes, I was like really upset about it. It's my best friend entire time at camp. He's not going to be there for 14. Like we talked about this for years, vegan 14 together. And then I stepped back for a second. I was like, wait, I'll just, I'll make, 20 other best friends. Like I don't, and then that was how it was. I just yeah. um, got real tight with the whole cabin. our cabin was, I, you know, real bias here. I think a real special cabin. We sort of started the um, just to, before I get to some names, we, we started the trend, I think of going eight weeks. I mm. can't take credit for it. Cause I was, I was a sped, but like uh, it used to be that the top athletes would only come second four. And then right. we, had, we are you know, and, the Andy Hirsches and Brett Pearson's and Zach Newman's, they came uh, for first four, and then that trickled down the next year. I mean, you had your Adam Gilberts and Daniel Elrods coming, and really camp then became more of eight weeks, and you started having thirty kids in cabin thirteen and fourteen.
0: Right, and also just to piggyback on that, that also led to having larger groups of guys stay and become junior counselors. Yeah, because oh, they absolutely. Had done all the eight weeks, and that caused a turnover in the staff. That we're now within three or four years, 98% of the staff are guys who've been at camp before.
1: Yeah. That wasn't the case at all until really we, uh, then, and then when I became a junior counselor, the age above us, all these guys came back as well. And that, that really started the six counselors in the cabin and three or four JCs and, and all that. Uh, but, but for guys I was close with, well, I went to, not only did I go to camp with these guys, but I also went to college with these guys. Brandon Rifkin was my roommate freshman year. He's my roommate in cabin 14. He's my roommate freshman year of college. Nice. Still talk to him every day, especially during basketball and football season. Uh, Danny golden, Daniel Kaminsky, Adam Korn, who uh, we did the medicine man together. Uh,
0: I want to talk about that. Too.
1: Oh, oh, please. <laughs>
0: That's
1: <laughs> nothing I'd rather do than talk about medicine, man. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, all, all the guys, uh, you know michael kind i went to his wedding uh kyle posen and i still real tight you know some of these guys i don't talk to all the time but when we do talk it's like you just fall back into it and you hear that cliche all the time yeah uh you know brett garber as well he came to dc a few years ago. we hadn't seen each other in years i so had, had just a classic night. i mean just a super super fun night nice. uh, one that stands out for me since i've been uh in dc so uh yeah, it really. But our cabin was super tight. And, and I'm not just saying that like we, I mean, you had your clicks and you had your, your rooms, but it was never like if you sat at the table at dinner and you weren't with your, your tightest guys that you felt awkward. Like yeah. that, that dynamic did not exist for us.
0: And I will say, I mean, you guys get a lot of love, you know, Snower talks about you guys, Elliot talks about you guys. I mean, as far as sort of really, because cabin 14 uh, comes about the dad's lodge transitions into cabin 14 in the early nineties, I guess. And it's pretty small early on. I mean, it's four guys. The very first time they do it, before. 96, they had four guys first four. Yeah. Year. And then they get into like having five and eight. And all of a sudden we get into 30. Yeah. <laughs> it's this huge deal. And so it, that could have just been a disaster. It could have just fallen apart, but there was the right group of guys at the right time. And snow were moving into the cabin and helping with Elliot and ha- and that crew, Um, And then I moved in the next year and the the crew even got bigger. We went to 35 kids in cabin 14 the next year, but, but that you guys really set, set the bar for what cabin 14 could be. And what we, I would say administratively as a camp would love it to be because that those having that many 16 year olds care about camp enough to come back and want to be together and want to be in that cabin together and want to be there for camp. That's like a big calling card. That's a big deal.
1: We, you know, we, I appreciate that. We, Asher, Weddick was our clear leader. He had been there the longest. Anyone who knows Asher's personality <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. I think, you know, he was more than any camper I can remember embedded himself into camp. If you can remember mm, that year. Yeah. I mean, every sure. lineup, there's always one or two camp 14 years to become the leaders of camp, but, but Asher really took the torch and, and ran with it. And I felt brought, brought a different, an extra dimension to our summer, uh, in 14, I just I just thought of something you mentioned with your first year. You were in 14 a year after me, correct? Yes. I remember one of the nicest stories I ever heard about Ojibwe was, uh, so Danny Schroeder was originally going to go four weeks and then co- kind of over visiting weekend, got the itch to stay. And is a Jeremy or Jordan Launder?
0: Uh, he was a rookie. <laughs> Jordan Launder,
1: yes. I remember he, there was like a meeting you guys had mm-hmm. to see if, because it was at capacity. There was four to a room. Right. And I remember hearing that the launder stood up and was like, I don't want to stop a veteran from getting his, his last session as a camper and, and volunteer, and they had five to a room. I just remember hearing that. It was like such a, uh, such a selfless move. I, yeah. It stood out to me.
0: Absolutely. Because, uh, I hadn't thought of that in a while. To clarify that, if you live in, so if you live in cabin 14, uh, there's cubes. Each cube is basically a room with four beds. Yeah. You can have five in there. With the jacuzzi but it's underneath. Right. The yeah. jacuzzi is downstairs. The, the McDonald's thing we put in, uh, it doesn't work anymore, yeah. but uh, basically was it the floors. Big floors. Was that the main part of it? Yeah. Okay. And that was why. So we can't keep them cold because the under, there's a water pipe issue or gotcha. something. Say no more. Yeah. Uh, so basically four or five to a room. Five on the corner rooms is fine. Five in another room is a little tight, and it was going to be a question of putting six in a room. That was what the deal was with, with Schroeder. And... We basically said, look, we'd love you to stay. Obviously, camp would like you to stay in in both the financial sense, but also in the like you know history sense. But it's not fair to say to these guys, you have to take out a sixth because that's going to be really brutal. And so we just opened up the door and said, what do you guys think? And, it, and you're right. It was one of those classic Ojibwe moments um, that really just speaks to even a brand new guy. Even Jordan Launder will not get a lot of great press on this podcast, I have to be honest with you, okay. <laughs> for reasons we could talk about off air. But uh, – but even a brand-new guy could see what it meant to be a part of this and ste- stepped up and said, absolutely, absolutely.
1: We uh, So I got in my 14-year. I got in the night before like I did a, a lot of years. Some years took the bus, but got in the night before, and I flew in with uh, Jamie Knorr and Scott Apple. They, one was Jamie's from Salt Lake, and Scott Apple was from Boca. And nice. cause we had a plan for our foursome, but with holes are dropping out, trying to figure out. And we all decided to room together. And then Brandon Rifkin joined us. So our Florida room and we call ourselves the foreigners uh, room five. What? Because uh, we had four guys, <laughs> none of which are from <laughs> Illinois. Sure. We had Wisconsin, Utah, Georgia, and Florida. And I was like, I, that was like our fun thing. We had the, the non Chicago room. Nice. It's a great crew. Yeah. Solid crew. Uh, unfortunately, nor and apple didn't come back after that summer. Uh, but we, we still like on Facebook, which has been such a great tool for keeping in touch with guys. Obviously yeah. we, the four of us will still joke around about it. And I haven't seen nor and apple in 14 years. Wow. Yeah. We still share the four of us still share, share that joke. That's incredible. Like,
0: so you guys go into 14. Uh, did we do a play? What play did we do? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I Pearson. did it. Is that Annie? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did Annie uh, with RZ Robert Decker, Ice uh, and Corn sure. were the stars. Of course, that year, uh, <laughs> Todd Jacobson's wife was in that cast as yes, well. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> and um, shout out to Mari. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so almost all of us did it. And I remember with that year, uh, I don't remember her name. I think her name was Alyssa, but okay. there was one girl I married who the first night we met, you, you kind of, you set up like this orientation night sure. for us uh, before we started practicing uh, or rehearsing, I should say. And we thought, okay, she's, she's really cute. This girl, Alyssa. And then uh, as time went on and time went on and, and how long do we, was it two weeks we
0: practiced? Yeah, Probably about two weeks. Yeah.
1: And camp goggles come on at the all boys <laughs> camp. I the we <laughs> thought she was the most beautiful woman on the planet. So <laughs> uh, still, still I still, I think I, saw a picture of her, you know, a few years later. And I was telling someone, I was like, this girl was, and like, I don't see it. I'm like, well, three weeks in the camp, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was on the fence about that. Cause sure. you know, the laziness could set in, you know, yeah. don't, no need to practice at night, but I was so glad I did that. Not that I got anything out of it. Uh, not that I'd made any strong acquaintances with any of the female. It was, it was, you know, I was still a high school kid. It was nice to talk to a gr- few girls in the summertime and, yeah. uh, I had a lot of fun. You gave me two lines, but I was more than happy to have it. Two Perfect. more than I thought I would get. <laughs> and uh,
0: did, do you still do that? Or uh, we still, The play went away for uh, a year or two, um, primarily just because we had trouble with... The, our two camps have a little different philosophy in our scheduling. Okay. And so when it comes to doing something rigidly together like that, it becomes tough. But we brought it back. Uh, Jake Sampson is kind of running it uh, these days. So he's doing a good job. And uh, I think it's going to probably live on. You know, it's great. I mean, for me, it was, it's basically a chance. Look, you guys are 16. When I was 16, I thought about one thing and, it, and only one thing. Yeah. So it's a chance for my 16 year old guys in my all guys camp to get to hang out with some girls for a little bit, whether anything comes of it or not. That's not what's important. It's the prospect of something coming over. That's all, right. all oh, that yeah. matters. And that's all that we talked about. Yeah. You break
1: it down and, uh, there was, I think one hookup came out of it and right. we dissected that hookup in every way, <laughs> shape and form. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll, I'll protect the names of the innocent on I'm, I'm that,
0: that one. But, For the good of the podcast yeah. on that one, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, uh, I remember so clearly there was one night at the rehearsal that, um, you know, when you when you put together 20 or 30 guys and 20 or 30 girls in a room and you're trying to, keep them quiet at camp and they're all you know doing what they do sometimes you got to yell a little bit and i was standing on the stage and i turned and yelled at brett pearson specifically right at him like just shut up or something i mean i really yelled he didn't let me off the hook for years
1: well he held that probably the first person that said anything negative or mean to brett pearson in his whole life
0: (laughs) you know that's not something he was really accustomed to
1: i see uh (laughs) The fortunes of OJ <laughs> politics always smiled upon him, so uh, I can I can definitely imagine how he would have never let you off the. Yeah, he
0: d- it took a long, long time. So, Brett, I love you. I didn't mean anything. You're great. You're the best ever.
1: But you got to remember, I mean, a good looking, good athlete who had been there since cabin one, like you're not allowed to yell at him. You know, sure. it's like, like the mafia has their made guys. Ojibwa has Absolutely. its, has it set. I believe he it, did
0: win back to back weeks uh, at all part of the puzzle, Yeah, well are right? all aware of that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Ugh, so <laughs> let's talk about the week since we're there. You, we already heard a, a little week story yes. from you, but uh, you've got some other good week stories.
1: Yeah. So let's see. I, I coached three years in Oh three. I was on Air Force I was the j c coach, and I was with my good friend Lee bagan and we lost to Pearson in Army by six and a half points and I literally for years thought about it like the first thing every morning like it like it took me a while to get looking back on it like
0: but it took me i got, I was legitimately upset about it my senior year of high school all the time that's fair uh and but to be fair, that team has some there's something about that team that has stuck out forever oh the stunt the the greatest stunt that in the modern era, as some kids will say, well,
1: I, I appreciate that. You say that I, Lee Bagan wrote it. So I literally, all I did was
0: I did the blackouts
1: in the back. That's all I did. But, uh, it was just, everything rhymed. It was just rap it, and, uh, it mixed together a lot of jokes with star Wars and star Trek, uh, for the Elliot Snower judging crowd. Sure. And, uh, it just flowed perfectly. And It was one of those things where I thought it was maybe good, but then on stage, it just, it just killed that night. And I remember, Absolutely. uh, funny thing with that was the, uh, obstacle race is really so it came down to we were behind army all week and then it, we knew we were going to win stunt and army was going to get third or fourth It was actually that year it was two sets if you remember oh, like right. six, teams six teams are in six. one thing mm-hmm. so two teams are going to win stunt night but i knew going into obstacle that we were in the lead and so i'm telling like we are in the lead for the first time if we win this we win collegiate week. And as it turned out we barely lost elliot said it was a matter of seconds mm. uh but the main thing that that slowed us down was, uh, can I say his name on here? Sure. Yeah. Peter Rosen. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, never going to forget you. Uh, he took forever on the horseshoes. We were, That's we it. were killing it. All right. So that year, the the SCs were on the pontoon, they were eating at 12 pines and the JC coaches, we were just sitting on the, on the benches at the trail courts. That's where we mm-hmm. were supposed to be. And I just, I was too nervous. Uh, and by the way, I had waited my whole life to coach at collegiate Week. Like this, like this was more important to me than playing in collegiate was coaching it. So uh I'm so nervous. Like I am a day away from winning collegiate my first year as a coach, and I just couldn't take it. I go to the far field. And uh I was sitting in the far field by myself. <laughs> it's a weird place to be by yourself in the afternoon, right? It is a huge place. I'm right. sitting there and Garrett Chernoff co- comes back in a walk that only Garrett Chernoff can have and has a little hop on his step and so we're going to win Cleese week. And uh, I was like, I was like, okay, I didn't really believe it. And, Cause we were, we were one of the first heats and army was going to be, was the last heat. Ugh. So and army was a team that we were competing against and, and a few other teams had chances, but it was, we were the main two. And uh, so I come back, I sit at the trail court, I'm feeling good. Army comes up, they're struggling at the three pointers taking a little while, not forever, but, but they're definitely struggling and they were moving fast. Like it was clear mm. uh, that they were, that they were doing well. Uh, well before I get back to army, let me just say that Peter, we were steamrolling going so fast, but Peter Rosen took forever on the horseshoes. And so that, that was the one thing where it was like, maybe air force could get tripped up because of what happened at the horseshoes. And then they moved to army takes a while at three pointers, moves to volleyball. I know Adam Ruckham was one of them. I can't remember who the other one was and they had trouble where it was. You had to serve the volleyball into this little box. Right. And that took them a while to do. And so, the coach, all of us coaches, we had said, screw this, only stay at the trail court rule. Like the week is on the line. <laughs> we're all at, the, we're at the new volleyball court. Sure. And that uh, actually there's the old one. And, uh, and then it took a while. They got it. And I'm thinking like, I'm about to win collegiate. I'm about to win the week right now. Like this is, this is it. And then they finished. We run down to the horseshoe pit. And Zach Cohen on his third try gets it. Ugh. And then they go fast. And I knew Jeremy Kaplan was a clutch kid. I, he was their first rounder. I knew he wasn't going to screw up on water hoops. And so now it, it was truly like in the air, like up in the air. No one knew who was going to win collegiate. Week. And it came down to us and, and you know, they did the piano thing. And it was air force army and, uh, I just, I don't think I've ever been so upset in my life. I mean, I guess I've had a really good life if that's the thing I'm (laughs) most upset about. Uh, But I just remember just being in stunned shock and seeing, you know, a good friend Pearson edge me out. And uh, so I'm thinking about this every day, all off season, right? Just so upset about it. And I see Peter Rosen the first, I think about Peter Rosen's mistake all year. I see him the first day of camp, but he is now like of cantaloupe age or pineapple age. Sure. And he just says, Hey, Shovers! it keeps walking. And I'm like, this kid clearly could care less. Like this, this thing is, it's like, I
0: don't want to say ruined my life, but (laughs) I've thought about it every
1: day. And to him, it's just, it's like, it never happened. And I just remember being so, I've never been more mad at a camper in my life (laughs) than, than that one moment. To be fair, he's a great guy.
0: He didn't. Sure, know. he's great. He's, he's sure just being at a awesome. camper doing his and, job, and, and,
1: <laughs> and he might be the guy that cures cancer. I don't know, but he <laughs> screwed up at, at horseshoes <laughs> with Collegiate Week on the line.
0: <laughs> As we always say on this podcast, obviously Collegiate Week, arguably the most important sports event in the country on any given year, <laughs> happens in the Great North Woods of Wisconsin, only in one place. Well, let me
1: tell you, with, with uh, Collegiate Week and obstacle race and the intensity of it, I met Michael Kine's wedding a couple years ago, and. Uh, he's first cousins with the guy, Todd Hayden, who was sure. a few years older than us and was a, a real good athlete, real good coach at camp. And so my good friend, Kyle posen's there. And I see the night before, uh, at the rehearsal dinner, I, I see Todd and Todd was, Todd was an intense guy, right? He was older. So like I was, you know, like many older guys intimidated by him and probably didn't talk to him a whole lot growing up. Sure. And, but he couldn't have been nicer at the rehearsal dinner and he's a father, you know, uh, it was like, it was like cool to see like, cause I only knew him as like his 16 year old intense self. Yeah. And then the next night, uh, and him and I were talking about camp and they had a similar obstacle story where they lost collegiate one year in 99, uh, with army, they lost actually to air force, same two schools mm. or service academies, I should say. And, uh, and he got all intense and all mad about it. It was all mad at the guy that, that cost him. And uh, it's not my team, so I don't want to say who the guy was. But it was like, yep, they're
0: that, that Ojibwe intensity, it's still there. <laughs> Has it left all these years later? Nice side note to that. I actually interviewed Hayden at the top of this trip uh, while I was still in Chicago. And I mean, and for me, I came in as a staff guy, and he was like a JC. And you know, he wasn't quite Victor level of an asshole, but he was kind of an asshole yeah. <laughs> and, uh, to see how, how much he's matured and like gets it and gets that he was kind of an asshole. Not unlike Victor shout out for you. Uh, is awesome. Cause I think that speaks to Ojibwe too, that, that sort of, you know, that you can be those guys at camp and still kind of grow out of it and still be a decent human being.
1: I just, I just loved how intense it got. I mean, here we are at this fancy wedding and, <laughs> and you know, at the cocktail hour and it's just, we're talking about
0: slap shots on the obstacle race from 1999. I mean, it was like, it was awesome. That's so funny. We brought up the subject a minute ago. Let's talk about the medicine man. I'll preface this by saying when I got to camp, the medicine man existed, but I mean, it was the bare minimum. Uh, I believe my first, cause I, my first year, I think someone said, do you want to help? Or uh, I want to say it was one of the Domonts maybe was doing it. And maybe five issues came out that year, the whole year. And so it had been this thing it had been around and we were trying to kind of get it going again. Uh, and all of a sudden you and Adam corn step in, we're going to take over and revitalize again, create the modern era medicine man. Tell me about that. So uh,
1: when I was a, a kid in early in the mid nineties, medicine man was, was a big deal. Uh, There's this guy, Matt Swibel, I believe he did it my first year. And it was in there. It came out almost every day and had score updates and, a lot of updates during collegiate week. And I remember it having like, I mean the graphics would look like they're from the 1700s now, but it had graphics in it sometimes. Sure. And it was awesome. And I loved it. (laughs) And then it, yeah, kind of went every year. There'd be like six issues and it just, it was a very haphazard thing, but it always stood out to me. And, um, you know, I have a a sense for media, if you will, I work in radio right now. So that kind of stuff, you know, leans in my direction. And I always, I remember, getting home from Camp 14 and calling Denny the next day and saying, I'd like to do medicine man next year. And he was like, this is the day after camp. He's like, well, <laughs> well, we'll worry about that. You know, this is on his list of priorities. Right. Like, uh, this, this is a low one. And, uh, it, so it stuck with me and corn had a similar itch for it. And we decided we were going to do it together. And, uh, Danny cliff tried to get it out with us. And uh, wasn't very nice. We were like, get out of here. Like there's no way to say we were diplomatic about it. Like total jerks about it. Get out of here. We want to do this. We have a vision in mind, please go. (laughs) And, uh, so we, we started doing it really, we did about 25 the first year. And then it got to really every single day Our years two and three. And, uh, corn and i have our uh, our sense of humor overlaps always has and so uh that that helped things corn the reason why it was there every day was because of me the reason why it was good was because of corn and i've said this a million times the formatting you know proofreading's never been my thing and he was always a much better writer than me but we just love sitting in that that we did the program office the first year. So we had to share it with the program, officers, right. which was a little intense. And then years two and three, they gave us our own office, uh, in the counselor's lodge, uh, which when you're a junior counselor and you kind of have your own office,
0: at camp, like y- right. you feel cool about that. There are like six offices at camp total. So it's yeah. a pretty big
1: deal. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even have my own office now. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we just did it. And we, we ha- there's still a few nicknames that we still ju- well, just randomly texted to each other. Nice. Uh, and there were a few times we got in trouble with Denny. Only once did I, th- once he didn't like get a joke, we, we went through this whole, the snacks had fallen off a little bit, mm. right? The snack quality. And so corn had written this thing where uh, let's take the frozen juice cups and hijack the truck and throw them onto highway 45 or something, something along those lines. And Denny missed the sarcasm there. Gotcha. There was another one where a counselor was let go, uh, where looking back on it, he clearly should have been let go. And, <laughs> uh, at the time I was angered by it. Sure. And, uh, we, we took out a space in the top right corner. Like this spots in, in memory of so-and-so in honor of Oof. Denny didn't like that one. That's fair. <laughs> we issued out the, we, we set out the issues called to the office and you, let me put it this way: you know you're in trouble when you're called to the office and you know why you've been called yes, to the office. Absolutely. There, there's, well there's like put. that there's like that level where that that everyone's gotten it. You've gotten called the office before, where that pit falls into the stomach, and you're like, I'm gonna have to deal with Denny right now. This is just this is just not gonna be pretty. Uh so we did it for yeah, three years, and we even did an off-season version of it. Uh it was on GeoCities. This is how sure. long ago was. <laughs> Yeah, we, we did, we tried to do like an off season thing and mixed real sports into it. Uh, but we, yeah, we would do editorials did trivia. That was kind of my area. Yeah. And, uh, I give a Coke to a kid who got trivia. I made them hard. That way I wouldn't have to give out too many Cokes. That's fair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that was like, that was always what I wanted to do. And we did it even more than I thought we could get it done. And yeah. so when I, when I finished, I, I felt in my third years being a staff man, like I could, there was nothing more I could do with it or we could do with it. And so that was one of the reasons why I felt so comfortable leaving camp, because I kinda I felt I left a little bit of a shred of legacy, if you
0: will, and no, absolutely. And,
1: uh, and and decided to to go out from there.
0: No, I think I mean not only was it important that you guys brought it back and made it a thing again, but you set a very high bar too. Cause you now the the younger kids who are reading it who are gonna look up and be like, oh, this I wanna do that are going, oh, wow, it's also really good. I can't, it's not just that there's one of these every day. It's there's one of these every day and there's thought put into every one. And it's really, I mean, to this day, and I've quoted it on this podcast probably four times, the uh, top 10 list of former Ojibwe athletes who guys currently didn't know with John Michaelon hitting the ball across the Braywood. I've said that a million times. Do you don't work back to Michael on, on that. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, he thinks it's great. <laughs> uh, it, it, I've heard like words gotten back to me that he heard about it. Yeah. And I feel like the day that I do meet him at some event in Chicago, it's going to feel like I'm meeting the president, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's going to be that level of excitement. Uh, but yeah. we, you know, it took a lot it was a lot of work. Like we didn't just do it during rec period. When we were assigned, we did it. We would finish it after dinner or whatnot, or even during rest period, I'd have to come grab corn out of bed to do it. And what was the, here was the best perk of doing a mess, man was we would get assigned it for trip day. All right. Trip day is a long shift for whatever you're doing. It'd be a rough day for sure. And we would, we were smart about this. All right. Second act morning activities ended, got a little bit downtown before lunch. We'd get a head start on it before lunch. We would skip rest period and do it. And then we would be done with the issue and we had the whole afternoon to go to
0: town. Nice. Uh, and that was, uh, that, that was a nice perk of the job. Nice. I was trying to remember, did, did I set you guys up out in the sound booth to do like a Yes. Kind of a radio show. We did a radio show my
1: first year on staff uh, in in the back. We did a few times during rest, rest period. Right. And uh, I remember once Jeremy Kaplan and Daniel Elrod had a classic basketball game. Like I'm saying, like one had 45 points other had 44. It was a triple overtime game on the trail court. Right. Uh, I don't know if it made the sports center that night, but it was pretty intense. (laughs) And we brought on Jeremy. We brought Elrod. Cause his team won. We brought him on that. Like we had a guest on, <laughs> uh, and I was, yeah, I had tons of fun with it. And then corn moved on to other things and I'm still
0: doing radio. Perfect t- today. Yeah. Uh, well I can tell you that last summer, WCOJ made its uh, return to Camp Ojibwe. Nice. Um, since there's some quality equipment now, uh, we set up and, uh, we kind of do it out of my office and we did a couple of different things. Uh, I gave Maddie Goldstein, um, a daily show all during the week. So every day of the week he did a report and we had guests on and, uh, Uh, I basically told the staff, you know, if you have an idea for a show, come talk to me. And if it's reasonable, you can do it. I don't care. Yeah. It's, you you can't curse or whatever, but other than that, like, and, uh, yeah, we had two or three different groups of guys put together shows and we probably did about eh, maybe 20 shows over the course of the summer. But uh, I expect that this year it'll probably be daily.
1: Have you seen Wet Hot American Summer? I have. The, the beekeeper, the kid with the, the radio <laughs> yeah. station, and you find
0: out it's exactly. unplugged.
1: Uh, that's, um, I think that's probably the only other camp with a radio station. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: that's the, that, so that's the hard part now. Like, so what I did last year was with Maddie's show, I put it on the website as a podcast every day so people could get access to it because we have the, the FM broadcast yeah. thing, but no one has radios. So it's see back when we were campers, kids used to bring up radio. Absolutely, yeah, that works fine. And so now we actually went out. We bought a radio for every cabin, but even that, it's just it's not quite enough. So we 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 gotta figure out a better way. So I did put speakers up just out the window of the rec hall, so people could hear and do it that way. One thing I remember out of all our editorials
1: was uh, we did one. I think this is my favorite. We did one about brothers, right? Because I was always intrigued by having a brother at camp. Mm, Uh, Just I don't I don't have a brother and. And then having someone, a sibling of yours at camp was just a whole different element to to something that I didn't experience. And we did this thing where I forget the terms we used. We were like basically the brothers that were attached at the hip. And then we had one was called distant relatives. (laughs) Cause I was like, there was some, there were some brothers who were with each other all the time. And some who you only see together visiting weekend when their parents are up. And I was always just fascinated by that dynamic. And then uh, you got your twins and some twins are attached to the hip and some twins are rivals and don't talk to each other for sure. And we kind of broke that down. And a few brothers disagreed with their, uh, (laughs) with with their, where they were assigned. But that, I think that was the one I I enjoyed uh, doing the most, but I I do always remember like there were certain brothers where one would be much older than the other. And you would never see them talk to each other. And then visiting weekend you'd see them together. And it's like, I, I forgot you guys were brothers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, your medicine men, you were kind enough to offer copies of your medicine men. So for you listeners out there on the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, those will be going up soon. You'll be able to click through and see the medicine men from 05, 04. Uh, yeah, the three years we did were 03, 04, 05, 03, 04, 05 right. Yeah. So you'll be able to see all those, click through, and uh, get some good memories out of that. Uh, and you guys were there for who is arguably our biggest athletic star uh, Jason Kipnis. you were there, and I don't think arguably he's an all star <laughs> second baseman.
1: I, I think you know, Dewey Dukin is on the Kings, uh, sure, but but yeah, Kipnis is a legit <laughs> MO ML player, be guy. I've seen him play a few times, uh, yeah. at, in Baltimore. And I went in the clubhouse one day, uh, and I talked with him, and, and uh, he recognized me right away. And we were, we were just talking about camp, and yeah. we're talking about Ojibwa in a major league baseball clubhouse <laughs> with a guy who's about to play the game. Like it was, it was very weird. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't like, gotten over the fact that he's in the major leagues and like, not just, he's not the 25th man. Right. Cause I watched him a lot at Arizona state uh, yeah. and he played in the college world series one year. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah. And then when he got drafted, I thought that was real cool. And then this is just a, a whole, and then I watched him in the all-star game and that just went, uh, took on a whole nother level. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I love that. I mean, a lot of the guys talk about when he comes to Chicago, you know, a bunch of the guys go down and talk to him and he, you know, he's just awesome. He's, he's like, he wants to talk about camp and when camp guys are there, it's funny. I look back on it. He went
1: one, three, like you would think right. a all-star second baseman would have gone one, one, but no, Gilbert and Nathan,
0: Jeff Nathan went ahead of him. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, in those days I used to love to go out and shoot horse with the guys from 14 or whatever. He and I would go play horse. I always tell the story when anybody asks about what it was like in the cabin with him. I was like, well, we'd go play horse. He was great. We'd shoot around. And then when he was like, had something else to do, he would just go out to the half court line and just start throwing them in until I couldn't make them anymore. And then that was the end of the <laughs> game. Every time. <laughs>
1: that was it. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, but, but I mentioned Dewey Dukin. so sure. he he was a camper for a few years. Mm-hmm. And so not only is he now on the Kings, but he played at Wisconsin on two final four teams. I'm a huge Wisconsin fan. So not only was this so guy playing college basketball, he's playing for my team. And he was, he was an integral part of very good teams. Like it was, it was the coolest thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was on uh, last year's final four team, right? He was. Yeah. 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 Who, who did they play in the final? Yeah we're going to go ahead and cut this part out. Yeah. We're not going to talk about Wisconsin (laughs) beating Kentucky last year. That's not going to be a thing. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I did, I did during the final four, I did run into his dad.
1: Oh, nice. And I saw this is after one of the biggest moments of doing life. And I run into his dad. I was like, Hey, I knew your son, no jibble. And he had a big smile light up on his face. That's awesome.
0: All right, another one in the books, half of one anyway. Tim Shovers, as you can tell, uh, Tim and I just really had a great time. A lot of fun stories, and I will tell you, part two is going to come out on Thursday, and uh, it's even more stories, uh, including a very, uh, a very racy story. So you've been warned, when you listen to part two, there's going to be a <laughs> definitely a story with some racy elements. Don't listen if you feel like you might be offended. It's <laughs> it is a pretty incredible story. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how, drop me an email, Christopher at Camp Uh, go by the website, check it out. Campajiblehistory.org. Did a little cleanup on the uh, homepage the other day. So things look a little different when you get there. Also, of course, look for me in the neighborhood. If you see the Ojibwa mobile running around, give me a honk, give me a wave. If you're not busy, stop me. and We'll talk about camp. I might have a little present for you in the back seat. That'd be awesome. May 6th, 2017. That's the date you need to know. OJ90 is coming, my friends. Save the date emails will be going out this week. Put it in your calendar. The biggest celebration ever in the history of Camp Ojibwe. The biggest gathering of camp-related people ever, ever. It's going to happen at the Weston Hotel in Wheeling, Illinois on May 6th, 2017. Put it on your calendar now. Lots of information coming in the next few months about how to get tickets, how to get registered. If you're interested in sponsoring the event, you can check that out now. Go over to OJ90. That's OJ90.com, OJ90.com, and you can find out sponsorship information there. You can watch a little teaser trailer to get an idea of what the weekend's going to be all about. And eventually you'll be able to find out further information through that website but right now oj90.com check it out we hope to see literally all of you there that would be amazing all right it's a foggy foggy day here at Camp Ojibwa the weather's great unseasonable one might say but it's so foggy you can barely see the lake from here so I don't think that leaves me much of an option I guess I'm gonna have to go out to the camp campfire site to have a cigar